Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, September 22nd, 2013. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator for this morning's meeting. The share ID for Friday, September 20th is 5177. Today's topic is Step 9, Made Direct Amends to Such People Where Possible except when to do so would injure them or others. The whole point of joining Overeaters Anonymous and moving through all the steps is to have a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. These steps are a process, and of course we have already worked the first seven steps prior to steps eight and nine. Steps eight and nine help us repair the past, Through these steps, we take responsibility for causing injury to others and make restitution where necessary. We have a chance to redeem ourselves for past misdeeds by making amends, and we can look forward to a healthy and rewarding future life. We are now able to achieve peaceful relations with ourselves and others and live in harmony with our world and with God, and here to speak with us today on their experience with Step 9 are three recovered compulsive overeaters. This morning on the line, we have Sharon R.S. from Minnesota, Katie G. from Boston, and Michelle H. as well as on the line, and this morning we will begin with Sharon R.S. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning, Leah, and welcome to all. This is Sharon, and I am a gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. I'm very happy to be on the line to share my experience. With step nine, with step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. My experience with step nine was one of, it it just, it was like this big mountain that loomed ahead. It was, it was like the impossible thing. It was, to me, step nine really just caused fear and trembling in me when I thought about it. It it felt like there, it was a step there that I was bound to repeat failures uh, in doing. And yet, I really wanted to recover. And so I was committed to doing step nine. And when I first came to OA, I I did the best I could. I wanted recovery. I was desperate. I couldn't stop eating. I could barely work. I had actually lost my job. I couldn't focus on 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 um, working, I was just in the disease, and I was ill because I was overeating compulsively, compulsively making my sick myself sick frequently in the emergency room. And when I came to OA, I was told, just don't eat sugar and go to as many meetings as you can. That was my instructions. And and I I really 
I saw the steps and, and I really was pretty much on my own. And I tried to work the steps and, and I tried to get a sponsor, tried to do what she said, tried to get a food plan. But I have a lot of food allergies and 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 I tried to take my sponsor's food plan. That didn't work because I had aller- the food allergies, yet I still tried to do it anyway. And so there was there I and and I started I tried to work the steps, but I didn't get a lot of direction. Yet I was committed. And one of the things that I did was I saw that step nine and I was I tried to I apologized and may I kept saying, Okay, I'm I'm trying to make amends whenever wherever possible what I did and I could see things I was doing wrong and this played out with my mother in that every time I was with her I would do things that I knew was wrong. I would say things, I would get angry, and I would apologize over and over again. And one thing that she said to me is she said, I don't want to hear one more apology, just change. And I remembered that, that this program is about changing. About 12 years ago, I got involved with people that were recovering by doing the steps the way they were outlined in the book, in the, in the, in the big book of recovery. I committed to working the program the way it was laid out, stopped trying to do it on my own, got down to business of working the steps. Step nine is step nine. It cannot be done unless you've done one through eight and done them the way that they're laid out. It is not a good step. It is not the step that you want to be going out, jumping into without getting some instruction, without really knowing what you're doing. You don't haphazardly go about doing step nine. It's a beautiful step. It's not a scary step when you've done one through eight. When you've done one through eight, Step nine flows out of that. When you've done step through steps one through eight and you've adequately done step eight, where you've looked at the people you've harmed, you've, you've made a list of them, you've considered the wrongs that you've done, step nine is not scary. When you approach step nine from the vantage point of knowing that You've, you've, uh, for me, I knew that I had been insane in the way I had dealt with food and out of the way I dealt with food, the way I've dealt with life. I knew I'd made a mess of things and I wanted to be different. I wanted to clean that up. And step nine gave me the opportunity to clean up my past, to, to get a fresh start and as with this new life that I had been promised in the big book, I was promised that I would, I would react differently toward life and uh, not always reacting, but I could begin to act upon life. I could begin to, to live this life that was free of not only compulsive overeating, but of crazy reacting to people of of 
I was a person that would just have outbursts with the people I really cared about, with my mother, with my husband, people in intimate relationships just with me just suffered my wrath or my explosive anger. And I didn't want to be that way. That's not how I wanted to live. And step nine was the gate that I could go through to this new, to a new and wonderful life. So it wasn't, I didn't take it as an option. I didn't take it as something that I procrastinated on. I got to it. And I also didn't take it as something that I could figure out on my own because my thinking got me into a a terrible, terrible messes. And I was so grateful that I had a sponsor and a recovery community of people who had gone before me, who had gone through this step. And I was just determined to just do what they had done so that I could get what they had gotten. And I realized, I realized when I look at it, faith without works is dead. And step nine is, is something that I, that we are able to put our faith into practice to that faith, that trust in, in our higher power that, that we've uh, recognized to our own, that is our own higher power. We're not alone. And so I had my higher power. I prayed. My sponsor had me to write out my amends. I had, I had a list of all the people that I needed to make amends to. I also had on my list some institutions. So my list consisted of people that were very close to me, my mother, my husband, it included my siblings, my father, and it also included a number of other people and uh, places like my work. And so that was my list, and I just got down to business, taking them one at a time. And my sponsor had me write out the amends, and then I read it to her. So grateful that I had that. So I could just be clear because my thinking had, you know, I didn't want to repeat what I did with my mother going, jumping out there, trying to make amends and being uh, really not being helpful to her or to me. And so it was really good to have people that I could talk to about this. And my sponsor, beautiful thing about that, about her, was if she didn't know, sometimes I would, I, I had situations like with my husband that she honestly told me, she says, you know, I don't know what the best way to, for you to deal with it. Something is, you know, she, she'd honestly say something's telling me that, that um, maybe that doesn't sound right. So, but why don't you go, uh, she, she would even call out a name of a couple of people that she knew in program who she respected their recovery and who she thought might be a better uh, resource for me to discuss the situation of my husband with. And so I would call that person and that person would help me work through uh, my amends and how I should handle it. And so I felt very safe and very that I wasn't doing this alone and that I had resources to tap into in this recovery program. So recognizing that I had to, this was an an action step and, and it gave me, this is where I was reaching outside of my world, outside of my community, my recovery community, and actually putting 
my recovery that I had had thus far into action in very powerful steps. And and as I was doing it, I was frequently remembering that I had agreed to go to any length to be to recover, and that I wasn't com- I could not be recovered until I got through this step. It was it is a requirement of recovery and a small price to pay to get out of the insanity of my addiction and the constant turmoil that I was in. I was just it was my life was tragic um, and I didn't want to continue that in any way. I had two small children. I had a reason to live and I, I just did not want to pass on the insanity that I was, that was in my head. The other thing that I recognize that I, that is important to me and why step nine is, is, is something that is worth doing and and even today if things come up I am willing and ready to make amends because the real joy of my living is to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and to people and I can't be that with with um, when I'm damaging people and when I'm leaving things dangling out there and so I'm these are some of the things that made me willing to jump out there and do what it took to to get recovered. And so I had this list. I had my mother, my my husband, my siblings, like I said, and and, and several other things. Now I dealt with my siblings first because I had a, another uh, I had brothers that were also addicts, and and uh, they knew what I was doing, and and were accepting that I was in this process, and and I ended up making amends to them over the phone because I I wanted to do it quickly, and I I did tell them what I was doing. They lived out of town, and there was, uh, and we just didn't see we don't didn't see each other very regularly. I did tell them that. I'd be, I was open to talking further in person, but I wanted to, I needed to, I wanted to do this um, soon, and would they be willing to talk to me over the phone, and I talked to them individually, and my sister, and I had already written the note, the the letter, and then I just talked to them without, I didn't read the letter, I just talked, I had already, um, I knew exactly what I was going to be saying in all my siblings received me so well. It was a great way to start. It just boosted my confidence about doing the the ninth step. They just were so gracious, and it was beautiful. And uh, to have to have that response and to get that out of of me and and um, just to be free of of carrying around the negative that that burden. And so I had that feeling of feeling really good. When I approached my mother, talked it over with my recovery community, and it was decided that the best way to deal with my mother, since she had told me she didn't want any more amends, any more talk, she wanted some action. And so I realized that with her, I rarely ever called her. If she didn't call me, she would rarely hear from me. And 
I just depended on her to keep the relationship going. I began to call her and just talk. And um, and I did talk about the program eventually, you know, that I was, I was working on. And, and uh, I gradually got it, uh, uh, the things in, uh, into the discussion. But mostly with my mother, it was showing, it was doing, it was, it was boots on the ground. It was just, I'm going to call her. I'm going to make those amends by, by picking up the phone and doing what she wants is to have a relationship with me and to get over the past and over my resentments and over blaming her for everything that ever happened in my life that didn't go right. And I didn't talk to her about that specifically. I just began to be a daughter and allow her to be a mother. And I have to say that it just gets me emotional because I got to have, now my mother's too ill to have those conversations. And I had years and many years, and I would talk to my mother almost every day when I was raising my children. And I got to benefit from her experience. And I got to listen to her without resentment. And when she was ill and I had to go help take care of her, I could take care of her. I could do without any resentment. It was just so beautiful to have that time. And I'm so grateful that I was able to go through this and to do this. And it was it's just such a gift to me that I got to see her beauty and to um, really live the person that I wanted to be. And since I began making amends to my mother, I have never, I have not exploded. I have not had that, um, I've never repeated again what, how I used to behave toward her. And I'm really grateful for that. Uh, another experience I had that I'd like to share with you is that with my husband, he too, uh, when it came to him, he didn't want to hear my amends. And I've not heard of anyone else that had had this experience, but it's not always going to turn out the way we'd like it to. And we don't have any control over that. What I'm taught is we just do the work. We, We are willing I was willing. I, I, I kept asking my husband and telling him I wanted to sit down and talk with some things to him. And again, I dealt with him the same way I dealt with my mother. I was always apologizing. Oh, I'm going to change. And I would never change. I'd get back in the food and I'd get back. Um, and I think all of the anger that I had toward myself and all of the resentments I had about the way my life turned out and it you know, I think I, I, I directed it toward him, and then I wanted to clean up, and then I apologized, and then I was up and down, and and I think it just, it just, he just got to the point where he didn't want to hear anything else from me about how I was gonna, what I was gonna do, or what I wasn't gonna do, 
Um, and, and particularly in, uh, even with OA, because I was in OA when I met him, I was in OA, we were, uh, you know, for so many years of our lives, of our married life, for our entire married life, before I got recovered. And so I was up and down and up and down, up and down, in and out, up and down, in and out, new sponsor, oh, sponsor, you know, just on and on. And a lot of my friends were were OA. And so I don't think my husband had a lot of respect for OA, and it didn't hold a lot of water for him. And so he didn't really want to sit down and talk about it. He didn't want to hear about it. Um, and so what do you do? And uh, so here, again, my, my, what, I, what, what we decided to do was I was to write out my, my letter of amends and give it to him. And he would have a choice to read if he didn't want to read and just tell him that it was there, that I wanted it to be different and, and um, I wanted to identify the things. I wanted to speak about these things. So the the letter, I, I saw it a couple, I don't know, not too long ago. It's still around here. It's still sealed. It's never been opened. Uh, yet I am recovered. And... Um, I don't, I accept that I, it's okay because how a person responds is not what's important. It's that I'm willing, that I do the work, that I present it, and I can be recovered regardless of how, of anyone, of how they respond. My recovery is up to me. It's up to me and my higher power, and I can have that. And the big book says we don't grovel. We don't, we don't grovel. We don't apologize. This is what I need to do. I need to be recovered. I need to get this work done. I need to be different. And with my husband, I committed to being different, whether I verbally made the amends or not. I need to be different in my response and in my reactions to him and I uh, and because it is sometimes I think more a reflection of how I feel about myself than how I feel about him I have to really uh, I have to work my recovery uh, really intensely to make sure that I am in my most intimate of relationships being um, stellar and and being what I would say acting godly and and acting in a loving and kind way even when um, I sometimes don't feel like I'm being treated back that way Um, and I know that one thing that I have learned is that and I've gone through this of feeling guilty about how I react and how I've reacted and feeling shame and what I have learned is that this step nine is not about guilt and shame I don't make amends as an installment payment on guilt or shame I it's it's a step that we go through we don't linger we don't hang out in step nine 
we go through step nine. It's not about guilt and shame. If, um, and I distinguish guilt from shame. Guilt moves us to action, to change. So in that sense, it is about guilt, but it's not about staying in guilt. It's about moving through it, using the guilt to be different. It's not about shame because to me, shame says I'm bad, I'm wrong. It's, it's step nine says I'm worth it. I'm worth this recovery. I'm worth the amends. I am worth it. And therefore, I'm going to do the work to clean up the mistakes. I'm not the mistake. I've made mistakes. In step nine, I accept that I am worth this work. I am worth this process. And I'm going to do it because I am worth it. And I can get through it. And I can be different. And I can, I have the tools. I have a higher power that is, that loves me, that is with me. And I can move into a life of, of joy, a life of living and being all that I dreamed of. All of the wonderful, beautiful things are available to me. And that's why I do step nine. And that's what I benefit by doing the work of step nine. And I can have the recovery that I see others have. And that's what it happened to me. And it can happen. And it does happen. The steps are there. They're available. And we just have to do the work. And in closing, I just want to say that um, when doing uh, – I also – I just want to say, too, that I still have a couple of envelopes that I haven't – a couple of men, amends, uh, that I, at least two, that I haven't done yet. And that's because they were to old boyfriends. And it just was not appropriate that I approached them. I wrote the amends out. They're in an envelope. I surrendered it to God. And I, told, I am totally willing, if God presents the opportunity, that I will, do, uh, I will make those amends, that they were not appropriate that I would do that. Um, and so in closing, I just want to say that in doing my step nine, I was not only trusting God, but my own faith in my higher power uh, was was uh, was not completely strong and, and solid. I'm still growing in my relationship with my higher power. So I had to trust the process. I had to trust the big book. I had to trust my fellows. If thousands of people have done the step and survived and recovered through it, surely if I do it, I will get what they got. And indeed, that did happen. So I trusted the recovery. I trusted my fellows. I, I, um, and I also knew that if I was rejected by my family, by everyone on my list, I still have my recovery community. I still have my fellows who are standing strong with me. And I'm going to get emotional again. I'm sorry about that. Step nine is, is a huge step for me. And, but I really, really depended on just holding on to my fellows when I went through step nine because it was scary, really scary for me. But I know I had that 
this new life that I was promised that if I held on to them and I saw what they had, I could get through this and I could get what I was to get in my life. What I knew that, you know, God had a purpose and a plan for me as he talks about in the big book and that I could get to that if I went through step nine. And so everyone on my list rejected me. And if I, I would still have my fellows standing with me as I went through this. And so uh, with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sharon, for sharing your personal experience with Step 9. We'll now go to our second panelist, Katie G. Welcome to the line. Hey, Leah, can you hear me? Yes, thank you. Awesome. Good morning, everyone. My name is Katie G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. From Boston, Mass., what a privilege to be here this morning, abstinent and sober by the grace of God. And I say that because it's Sunday morning. It's 8.59 on Sunday morning. And I can tell you what I ate yesterday. And I can tell you who I did or did not sleep with yesterday. And I can tell you that I did not commit homicide or suicide against anybody yesterday. Um, and that's not normal for me. I have been given the opportunity to live two lives in one lifetime, many more than two. Um, And that is a privilege, and I never want to forget that. I just want to begin um, by sharing that step nine is like the SATs or grad school. Um, You don't start off in grad school. You go to kindergarten first, right? Like there are a lot of steps you got to do beforehand. And when I came into the program, I did a lot of apologizing. I went around and I threw up all over people because I figured like, okay, so now that um, I'm getting clean with the food, I need to go out and make lots of apologies and just apologize to everyone. But I want to be clear. An amend is to reform oneself, to change. Saying I'm sorry is expressing sorrow or regret. I don't say I'm sorry anymore. Similar to Sharon. I had too many people say to me, Katie, I don't want to hear you say I'm sorry anymore. That's not good enough. I want you to change your behavior. So I want to be clear that in order to do these steps, I had to be abstinent. I had to have a clear plan, and I still do today, of what is abstinent and what is not. Because if I'm not clear with the food, I will do harm with other people, right? So that's like my first and foremost every day. At the same time, What I will tell you is I stayed abstinent. Thank God I got abstinent. I was very clear on what was and what was not abstinent. And I had to spend a lot of time in recovery staying abstinent because it took me a long time. Somebody was taking away the only solution I'd ever known. And I don't know if that's the right way or the wrong way, but that was just my experience. However, on page 82, it says the alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Sober. Hearts are broken, sweet relationships are dead, affections have been uprooted, selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. When we feel a man is unthinking, when he says sobriety is enough, he is like the farmer who came out of the cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter, ma, ain't it grand, the wind stopped blowing? That's me in abstinence. Um, I want to read an email that was written about me um, as an abstinent woman in recovery, um, not, but not recovered. Um, it said, I no longer feel it is worth bringing issues to Katie because she tends to become argumentative. 
I cannot have conversations or work-related discussion with a coworker without her coming over to have something to say. Catherine runs in and out of her office practically jumping at everything I say. It is almost as though everything has to be strict from how we say things to when we take our lunches, even when it is not busy. Everything has to be completely controlled and it is extremely overwhelming. Um, Catherine kept interrupting me and telling me to hang up when the issue was still being resolved and the patient would have lost the call. Um, at times when Catherine does ask me if I'm overwhelmed and need help, even if I do say, is, say I do need help, I feel I have to either resolve it myself or just bother not, not bother to ask. From what I do understand, it seems as though most of the doctors seem frustrated as well. Um, she comes off as aggressive, rude, and even flirtatious at times, pushing patients to indicate a re reason of the visit if they do not wish to do so, carrying on personal conversations, and asking personal questions. Okay, so I don't know if you guys get that um, sobriety is not enough for me, right? So I'm in a thin body today, right? And I was in a thin body before in my adult life. I've been 228 pounds and 110 pounds, but I do not know how to handle people. So I came in and I got abstinent, and then that is a description of me working. That is what people said about me when I was working without the steps. So when I got to um, this part of the work, I had done the work. I had been fired from that job where that person was describing me. And my sponsor said a couple things. First, she said, I want you to define harm. Harm means to maltreat, abuse, hurt, cause pain, or wrongdoing. And again, amend is to reform oneself, sorry, if sorry, or regret. So we, we talk about in Boston, amends are about giving people back their reality, saying to somebody, you know what? I regret my behavior. When I spoke with you in a condescending manner, I can imagine that you felt like you were two years old, and I am so sorry. You know, like I spent a lot of time in my amends work thinking about how I had made other people feel. And amends is, I don't put myself on the amends list. I'll tell you what my amend is every day. Staying abstinent and living in 10, 11, and 12. I don't need any more self-pity to, you know, and if your sponsor says make an amend to yourself, go for it. But my amends to myself is staying abstinent and doing the work. So I'm giving people back their reality. But so where do I get my list? Well, my sponsor told me a couple places. My resentment list, my amends list, uh, or excuse me, my resentment list, my sex list, and my fears list. Fears, how am I perpetuating the fear, right? That's a question I ask myself. I'm pissy, gossiping, slandering other people. That is wrongdoing, right? But as the previous speaker so quickly out, so wonderfully outlined, I don't make amends to people without speaking to others. Um, there's an entire recovery community, and it is very important that I don't make, you know, irresponsible amends. An irresponsible amend is going up to somebody and saying, gee, you know, I gossiped about you yesterday. I said you were a total pig, and I'm really sorry. Or going to somebody I was gossiping with and saying, gosh, you know, we really got to stop gossiping. I was wrong. There are different ways that I can handle that today. So I made about 140 amends. Uh, I'm a really, and, and I will tell you that probably three quarters of those were from sobriety. Um, I don't rehash the past. Um, so my sponsor and I, every time I had an amend, I wrote it up. Oh, I'll share this. My first amend, I love that Sharon shared that her first amend, she felt so good. So my first amend, I go to an old sponsor, right? And what's the amend for? 
I was demanding. I was ungrateful. I would call her at times that she wasn't available. Um, I was unkind and inconsiderate, and I have specific examples. Um, one of the most important things I do for every amend is I didn't hold someone hostage. I always let them know. I asked to make an appointment out of respect for them. I also learned really quickly that people don't know what the word amend is out in the real world. That was my experience. So people would be like, what's an amend? So I, I had to like learn how to change dynamically, change my, my, my language. And um, I went to my former sponsor. And you know what, guys? She didn't let me off the hook. And I was like, oh my God, my behavior was really bad. I mean, and I knew that I was going to her to make right the wrong and give her back her reality that I was a demanding, ungrateful sponsee. But I kind of thought she'd say to me, you know what, I get it, it's okay, and she didn't. And that was the first time, like, I am accepting reality. And one of the promises that for me actually came true out of doing the work is the step five promises, I can be alone in a perfect peace and ease. I can look the world in the eye. Why? Because I don't feel guilty anymore. Like I've joined the human race and I know how to look at people and say I regret my behavior. Language is very important in the amends. Um, I was in a relationship for three years with someone and I wrote them the following email to make an appointment. I'm writing to the request. I'm writing to request the opportunity to speak with you. Having reflected on my behaviors in the last 10 years, I'm hoping to speak with you and take responsibility for my actions. It looks like I will be in this area in the month of November. If you are amenable, would you please let me know a few dates and times that you are available for a brief in-person conversation? Okay. So the response I got back was, I totally understand your business approach, but I'm not sure that I want, that, that I want to see you. Right? Because what am I doing? I'm doing my old behaviors. I'm afraid you're going to reject me, so I'm going to be Susie business, right? And I almost lost out on an opportunity to make right or wrong. You know, and the most important reason that we do these amends is to stay sober. Like that is why we do this, not because I want to feel better, not because I'm feeling guilty, and I want you to know I, when I do something wrong, the first thing I want to do is say I'm sorry so I feel better about myself. But that is not, that's not appropriate behavior. So I wrote back to this woman and I said to her, you know what, you're right. And I just opened up and I said, I really messed up in our relationship and I'd really like the opportunity to meet with you. I mean, who uses the word amenable in a conversation? Nobody. I was studying for the GREs, right? So crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, I will review um, another amends that I made. This was a, um, a letter that I wrote to an uncle. Um, and I prayed on it. He had died, and I just wanted you to hear the language. Uncle Mike, I want to apologize for the unkind things I said about you. You are a very generous man, and I'm very grateful for the support you gave my dad. You always cooked wonderful meals for our family gatherings, and you really loved your kids and family. I'm so sorry that your life ended early. I know my dad and stepmom miss you a great deal. Your legacy lives on within Marla and Andrew, my cousins. They have both found a lot of success. Thank you for being kind and loving to me throughout my childhood. I'm sorry I did not show you the respect and affection you deserved. I love you, Mike, and I am praying for you. So that's another thing. When I did my amends, disregarding the other person entirely, we learned how to do that in the resentment. I don't go expecting people to apologize back to me. And I'll tell you what, I went in to several amends expecting certain things. Um, with my best friend from high school, I expected us to have a relationship, right? Because I started feeling good. The amends were going well. We don't talk. 
But I'll tell you, when I had no expectations and I knew that I was doing this so I could live how God wanted me to live, um, I remember I made um, an amend to my cousin Marla. I uh, thought that she had a better life than me. I tore up her father. Um, I visited her and I was selfish. I was inconsiderate. And I went to meet with her, and she, in my mind, was like resentment 101 for Katie, right? Because she's smart. She's a professor. She has money. She has a man. She's married. She has a house. She's going to have kids. I'm like, this is a woman needing my prayers. So I go to her, right? And I, and I go to her as the book so like wonderfully describes in a state of humility, in a state of honesty, in a state of openness. And I say to her, I regret my behavior. I was so wrong. I was so selfish, you know, and we had an honest conversation. And you know what? That lie that she had a better life, and if I, if I had what she had, I wouldn't feel as I feel. She just kicked her husband out of the house because of drinking, right? Her life was not perfect. That's my fault. I'm the one that puts that on. Um, trying to make things happen doesn't work. Um, actually, like a previous speaker, I had a lot of people who were not ready. My mother was not ready for my event. She totally blew it off. But I'll tell you what, over time, I've gotten my mom back <laughs> because I've shown up. She didn't want to trust me. Like the book talks a lot about like just because we're all this, we are all of a sudden saying we're changing our life, people aren't going to suddenly trust us. My mom didn't know that I wasn't going to blow up every time she came to see me so that she wouldn't show up and I could reject her. Because that's what I spent my adult life doing, right? And I'll tell you, a few months ago, my mom came. I picked her up at the airport. I paid for the tolls. I drove her around the town we used to live in. And I got, to, I got my mom. You know, like, same thing, I got my mom. Like, she gets to be a mom to me today. And I don't have to apologize. So I haven't been able to make a formal amend to her, but it wasn't necessary. And when I wrote out my letter, my sponsor said to me, Kate, you can't read that to her. Like, I wanted to go and rehash all this old drama, but it's not necessary. That's too painful. That's not an amend. That's doing more harm. Um, I had some funny things happen. One woman I used to work for, I called her because I was just this atrocious manager. And she goes, she goes, Catherine. And I was like, what? She goes, are you dying? And I said, no. I said, well, I don't think so. And I, she said, well, I said, why? And she said, why is this coming up for you? And, you know, there's a lot of dialogue about do we tell people we're compulsive overeaters right away, blah, blah, blah. I don't, I, I take that as a case-by-case case instance. Um, I don't like the book says, I don't necessarily throw up all, all over people right away about the spiritual approach because um, I want them to hear me. You know, um, when it was necessary, I often said that to someone like some guys said to me, so were you just sitting on a beach wondering, you know, what was going, that you had to make an amend? And I said, actually, you know, I am in a 12-step recovery program and I need to do this. Um, some harm that I did when making amends, there was a woman who I had had uh, relations with and then I had relations with her partner, and I wanted to contact her. Why? So I felt better. And you guys, I did this with the help of a sponsor, and I went to her, and I did more harm. She was like, actually, I really had put that behind me, you know? And so then I prayed, and I learned, right, because I'm a human being. I'm not going to do everything perfectly. <clears throat> there was another case of a woman who I had lied about her 
to other friends and character assassinated her. I didn't go to her because my sponsor said to me, how would you feel if someone said to you, gee, you were right, I lied about you to everybody. And I character assassinated you and I tore you apart. I don't want to hear that. That's not an amends. Change your behavior. Cut the shit, you know? Excuse my language. Cut it out. Get right with you. Stop resenting others because you're not okay with yourself. I had a professor who I had, um, (laughs) I threw away all of these papers that I was supposed to correct, right? And so I finally found her. I wrote her a letter. And you know what she wrote me? She wrote, Dear Katie, and she didn't let me off the hook, thank God. She said, I'm really disappointed. If you had come to me and said, I'm overwhelmed, I could have helped you. And I hold my students in high esteem, and you didn't give me that opportunity, and I'm really disappointed. But I respect you so much for coming to me, you know, and thank you for for telling me that. And it must have taken a lot of courage. So, again, it was like, okay, I can be alone in perfect peace and ease, you know. I made a lot of financial amends, um, you know, but as it says on page 127, you know, I can't place, you know, material gains first. Um, If I'm looking for some sort of material gain, it says, although financial recovery is on the way for many of us, we found we could not place money first. For us, material well-being always follows spiritual progress that never preceded. So what does that mean? I can't go after money today. Money is just the human power that I go after, right? Every day I get stuck at B. No human power can relieve my food addiction, right? Um, But it's an inside job. I could have all the money in the world and eat tomorrow. Um, God also takes care of our men. So there was this guy and I couldn't find him. And uh, he used to work for me at one of the management offices. And I couldn't find him, and I couldn't find him, and I was, like, really trying to make it happen and control it because I need to do my 140 amends so I get recovery. Yeah, where's God and all that? I'm not really sure. Um, so I'm studying at the library, kid you not, like six months in to my amends, and, um, and who shows up to open the door? And he didn't want to talk to me. In fact, he took 10 steps back when I saw him. I was like, I don't know if you remember who I am. And he looked at me and was like, yeah, I remember you. He didn't want to talk to me. I, I said, I really, I love the opportunity to, uh, to, to talk to you. And he was like, no, really, it's okay. And I said, please, I'd really, I, I, I'd really like to do this. And I, I just said to him, I regret my behavior. I was controlling. I was manipulative. I was verbally abusive to you. And I'm sorry, that was wrong. You didn't deserve to be treated that way. Um, I had a former employee say, please don't, don't contact us anymore, you know, and, and what's the most important thing about all my amends is that I'm willing to go to any length. My real purpose is to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and the people around us, not to control, not to manipulate, and not to abuse. So I've given you a lot of examples today. Um, there are many more that I could give you, but really, um, this is about giving people back their reality looking people in the eye. You know, I had one woman say to me, yeah, Katie, you know, um, you were hard to work with. You have really a lot of dreams, but you have no people skills. And I was so like, oh, my God. And I got into the car and burst out crying after making with the men. And I thought, yeah, 
I have no people skills. Because, guys, you know what? I'm recovered from a whole seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, absolutely. But I am not cured. I am in a 12-step program because I don't have people skills. I am selfish, dishonest, and inconsiderate. And I have to battle that in 10 and 11 every day. That's why I do 12, you know? So the only thing... Um, the only thing harder than thinking about the fourth step is thinking about the ninth step. Uh, there's really, it, it is a very rewarding process, but not in the ways that you think it is. It's about giving people back their reality and being a woman of honor, dignity, and grace and living there. And I will tell you, I have had many opportunities in recovery on a daily basis to call people back, to go back and say, you know what, I lied to you. I was wrong. I regret my behavior. These are key phrases that my sponsor taught me, key ways of accepting my responsibility as a woman who kind of t- tends towards the selfishness. Um, so if you're out there and eating, get up. And then don't start making amends until you, st- until you talk to another recovered woman. Um, this is, again, the graduate school work, and we need to keep doing it. Like, again, I just want to stress, I am not perfect. If you're in my life and you're out there listening on the phone, you know how not perfect I am, and I've kind of given you my secret. I'm sure I've said to you I regret my behavior because I do, because I'm not ever perfect. But I don't regret the past. I, I, I don't shut the, the door on it. You know, I do recoil from food as if from a hot flame. You know, I do react sanely and normally for the most part. You know, like I... I live as a as a woman among other people, you know, and I pray every single day. Um, so thank you so much for this privilege to be of service, and with that, I do pass. Thank you very much, Katie. And now we welcome Michelle H. from Missouri. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision, for you. This is Michelle H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in St. Louis. And I am, I'm, you know, like Katie and Sharon have gone before me. I'm so grateful to be here with everyone this morning. Um, Vision for You has been so instrumental in my recovery, and I'm just so happy to be traveling on the broad highway with all of you today. Um, I'd like to qualify and tell you that I I came back to OA in 2005 after an eight-year absence. I got abstinent on October 20, 2010. Uh, God's released 75 to 80 pounds from my body. Um, in October of 2010, I was at my lowest point um, <clears throat> with this disease, and I remember getting on my knees that October day, and I asked God for help. I was two days abstinent when I um, had the very um, grace to be going to a big book study retreat, and it was during that weekend retreat. My sponsor was there, and I, I surrendered, and I told her I was willing to do whatever she said I had to do um, to get recovered. Uh, she shared with me that she had over 20 years of abstinence and the obsession of the mind had been removed. And I was so ready and willing to do anything to have that obsession removed. Um, the promise of recovery um, was given to me that day. If I, I told if I would work the steps according to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I had never um, before worked the steps, the 12 steps, according to the directions as written in the big book. And that's what kept me moving forward, the promise that that obsession of the mind would be removed because that's, what, that's all I was interested in at the time. But mostly it was the grace of God that brought me through the 12 steps, and I was relying on that power that was greater than myself to do for me what I couldn't do. 
So in the beginning, my sponsor had me reading the doctor's opinion, and it was in that chapter, <clears throat> along with reading it, discussing it with my sponsor and listening um, to recovered people on the telephone line. In that chapter, I learned that I um, that there was little, very little hope for my recovery unless I would experience an entire psychic change, and that's also known as a spiritual experience. And the Step 12 promises a spiritual awakening as the result of working the steps. So my sponsor worked with me and told me that, you know, first food had to die, and then after the food was down, then came the death of self or self-will. And that came only through the process of working the steps with the, with the help of God. And self-will is when I'm thinking only of myself and being selfish and self-centered. And um, page 62 of the big book says, Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must, or it kills us. God makes that possible. So at that point, um, I was ready to surrender, um, give my life over, my will, my thinking, um, because it wasn't working for me. So I embarked on the action steps. And step one is the first of the action steps. I wrote out my inventory. Um, pretty easy for me to, to start column one, writing down all the people I resented and I was angry with. And um, eventually I got over to column four. Um, took me a little, little bit of time to get there. Um, but eventually I got there and I saw where I was selfish, self-centered, inconsiderate, and frightened. And when I met with my sponsor and, took, you know, and did step five, I saw my character defects. She helped me to see them. First, I didn't see them. I thought I was a um, really nice person. You know, how could I be causing harm to others? Um, where was I selfish and self-centered? But then there it was. I was people-pleasing, which is a form of dishonesty. Um, I was approval-seeking and controlling. I was argumentative. I needed to be right. I was judging and critical. Those are the ones that um, manifested themselves in my behaviors with others and caused me to cause them harm. And... Um, certainly um, caused a lot of chaos, confusion. There was no peace or harmony in my relationships. Step six, I found these gross or handicaps objectionable, and I became willing to let them go. Step seven, um, that beautiful seven-step prayer I sat on my knees when I was ready. I asked God to remove every single defect, <clears throat> excuse me, which stood in the way of my usefulness to God and to my fellows. And that was a different concept to me. Um, you know, that that's a, a more selfless way of looking at having these defects removed because I want to be useful to God and to my fellows. It's not about me getting what I want anymore. I ask God only for strength to go out from here, to go out from here from step seven to do God's bidding. And so that takes me to steps eight and nine. And I did. I made a list of people I had harmed that came from my inventory, the people I had resented, seeing over in column four my part, and um, then I wrote down what harm I had done to them, and then I reviewed them with my sponsor. So in step nine, I'm <clears throat> part of that process of clearing away the wreckage of my past and, as stated before me, making those reparations. And it's at this point that the big book wants to remind me, um, you know, I've agreed to go to any lengths now. Here I am at that point where it's going to take humility on my part. Um, ego is going to need further deflation. Ego doesn't want to be deflated. But I've agreed to go to any lengths, and I'm reminded on page 76 that the reason I'm going to any lengths is for victory over alcohol, victory over compulsive overeating. And on page 79, again in that ninth step, 
well, not again, but in the ninth step prayer, um, it's reminding ourselves that we have decided to go to any length to find a spiritual experience. That's what I needed. I remember finding that out early on in the <clears throat> big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, that I'm hopeless unless I have a spiritual experience, and I'm willing to go to any lengths to get it. Remember, I said I would. And then further in the prayer, we ask, and I put God, we ask, and I say God, that we be given the strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. And so my sponsor told me, you know, Michelle, you're not ready to make amends if you still have anger and bitterness in your heart to that person. And so, you know, these steps are a process of changing that where I become, and I see them as sick people the same way I'm a sick person. And um, my, my heart changes and it becomes full of compassion and love for them as well as for myself. And so my sponsor directed me when my heart was full of love and God was there, I was ready to make those amends to that person. So this morning God has nudged me to share some of these amends with you that I have made. And this is my experience with Step 9 and how this step has changed me. And um, thank you for allowing me to share with you how the Step 9 promises have come true for me. One of the first amends that I made was to my older son. Um, my son, who is now 30 years old, has always taken a back seat to his younger brother. I told my son that I was sorry for the times that I had not been present for him because I was more worried about his younger brother. I told him I wanted to be more available to him in the future now and in, in our relationship now and going forward. And by the grace of God, I've been able to live out this amends to my son. I'm so grateful that he continues to include me in his life and his relationship with his girlfriend. And I, likewise, I'm respectful of him and his decisions. I may not agree with him, um, but I don't, I don't, um, I respect his decision. He's, a, he's an adult male, and he has a right to his decisions and his own consequences. I'm there to, to be his mother and to be loving and supportive and to be present with God's help. Um, I, another amends that I made was to my sister about how I treated her at our father's funeral in 2010. My father died in, in March of 2010, and I didn't get recovered till October of 2010. And um, I have to admit that it wasn't until my mother's funeral um, in um, 2011, almost very close to my one-year OA birthday, that I saw God reveal to me how, um, how I had mistreated my sister. You know, she had made it very clear when she arrived for the funeral that, that she could not stand to go and view my father uh, in his casket. And she said, I'm parking myself here at the back end of this parlor, and this is where I stay. I'll be here, but I'm, don't ask me to go up there. Well, inadvertently, one of our elderly aunts who had dementia hooked onto my sister, and in my aunt's brief um, wobbled up to the casket, and my sister and her love supported her to go up to the casket, despite her not wanting to go. And there I was seeing that, well, she said she wouldn't, but she did. So I took that opportunity the next day to force my will on my sister. I and you know enlisted the help of her spouse, my sisters, um, to force her to say, you know, let's all go up together, all four sisters. It was all about me wanting to look good. How was this going to look to the rest of the family? I wanted them to show a support that we were all uh, united in our love for each other when that probably was not not very close to the truth. And, um, you know, I'm sad to say that my sister, um, you know, did cave in and she went and she went and did something that she really didn't want to do. Um, and I caused her harm. So the amends I made to her was um, she didn't want to be around us after 
um, after that funeral and when my mother died in 2011, she arrived at the church when the casket was closed. And I talked to my sponsor because my sister didn't really want to be around the rest of us that day. She kept her distance. And um, I asked my sponsor if I could make a, a phone call to my sister to make amends, and we decided that would be the best route. So I called her, and um, she was very surprised. She was not expecting an amends from me. I don't think I'd ever made an amends to my sister. Unlike people who said they've said they're sorry, I don't think I've, I've done that much in my life. I always thought that I was, was right. And I called her and I said, you know, I'm really sorry um, for the harm that I caused you at Dad's funeral. I wasn't respectful of your feelings and your view um, on how you wanted to live your life. And um, I listened to her as she told me how I had hurt her and that how she didn't want to be around people who were not respectful of her feelings. And I told her I, I certainly understood that and that um, and that I was truly sorry. And going forward, um, I would, would respect her and... Um, not try to force my will on her again. And um, I'm grateful to say that, you know, I've had further conversations with my sister, and I'm not going to force any kind of, you know, face-to-face -face meeting with her. That's, I put that relationship in God's hands, and I'm respectful. She will pick the time. And sometimes the road, you know, to reconstruction um, is a long period ahead, and I do accept that with my sister today. But I'm grateful that she takes my calls and that we can talk, and at the end of each conversation we tell each other that we love each other. Um, the hardest amends that I um, ever made was to my mother. It was um, the most difficult. And on page 77 in the big book, it addresses my situation with my mother. The question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. It was not easy for me to admit to my sponsor that I had hatred for my mother. But I told my mother, um, I'm sorry, I told my sponsor that, you know, I'm, I'm in another 12-step program been there for years, and um, I, I see that now that my mom's a sick person, and she didn't mean to cause me harm, and um, so I started to look for the good things that my mom did for me and my family, and you know what? I've had a change in my attitude and a change in my behavior, and, um, you know, my mom now has dementia. She, um, she, she can't be critical and judgmental of me anymore because um, she can't remember anything, and so I have pleasant visits. I take her out for lunch. I take her shopping. Mostly I did it to give my dad a break. And um, so I told her, I said, you know, I don't see how I've hurt my mom and I've had a change in behavior. I, I, at this time, I really don't have any amends to make to her. And um, she said, okay, and that was my belief and my truth at the time. And then after my, my dad died in 2010, um, you know, I really got back into the disease in March of 2010 and, um, again, didn't get recovered till the end of October, October 20th. And... Um, so so what happened was I, I was given the care of my mom. I'm the only daughter that lives um, close. Everybody else is out of town and out of state. And um, so I was talking to my sponsor one day about how I've been going to the nursing home and taking care of my mom. My mom has dementia. She doesn't recognize me. Um, some, day, you know, some days the only thing that I really feel like I'm doing anything is when I, I get to help her eat, but now she's not eating. She's refusing food. You know, and guys, other people go to the nursing home, and, and their their loved ones are, you know, talking to them. They get, you know, there's communication. And I, I must have been going on and on because she stopped me, and she, she posed this question. She said, Michelle, what is it that you still want from your mother? And I, I said, what, what are you talking about? What do I want from my mother? I don't want anything from my mother. Um, I'm, I'm doing all the giving, can't you see? I'm going to the nursing home. I'm taking care of her. And she stopped me again. She goes, Michelle, what is it that you still want from your mother? 
And, um, you know, she said, your mom's deteriorating, she's not eating, and, um, you know, you're not accepting her the way she is. What's going on with you? What do you want from her? What do you still want? And um, finally, um, I paused and I prayed and I heard what she was really saying. And I was able to see that even in my mother's deteriorating state, I was visiting her for my own motive of wanting my mom to show me love and approval for all that I was doing for her. I was still trying to get what I wanted from her. What I fi- when I finally saw that this was the reality, this was my truth, that I was being selfish, self-centered, and self-seeking in my actions and the taking care of my mother, I broke down and cried. I could see how I, you know, I did have a part in causing the misery and straining the relationship with my mother. Um, it was true. She had caused some physical, emotional harm to me over the years, but I hurt her just as much by refusing to give her my love and not being the best daughter that I could be. And this was such a turning point in my relationship with my mother. And further on, on page 77 in the big book, it gives directions of how to approach the man we hated. It states that we go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. So in order for me to to really give an amends, I, I sat and I wrote a letter to my mom expressing the harm that I had caused her by withholding my love and that I was sorry that I had not loved her as much as I could have. Um, I had not been a very good daughter to her. So I read the letter to my sponsor, and she agreed that I was ready to make amends to my mom. And so I went to my mom's bedside, sat down. It felt really awkward. You know, here's my mom with dementia. Um, This is weird. I'm kind of sitting here. And I kind of started by reading the letter, what I had written. And then I looked up from reading the words on that piece of paper, and I really looked at my mom, and I looked in her eyes you know, that face-to-face. I looked into her eyes, and I felt like I was looking into her soul, and her soul was looking back at me. I had never experienced that with her before. And looking at my mom, I just spoke to her from my heart. I said, Mom, I'm so sorry that I did not accept you the way that you you are and the way I wanted you to be who the mom that I wanted you to be, and I'm so sorry for that. And after that day, there was this transformation in that relationship You know, God was there. He was present as that was happening because, you know what, I no longer felt that I had not been loved by my mother. Uh, And it came to me in an inspiration from God that, you know, we both wanted, my mom and I both wanted the same thing. We wanted acceptance for who we were. And I was finally able to accept my mom just how she was, no strings attached. I could love her without expecting to receive love back from her in return. And God made that possible. We made a connection that day, and I have not lost that connection. It has actually gone stronger. And it was, you know, I had seven more months with my mom after I made that amends. And I could go to that nursing home and just be. She didn't have to eat for me. She didn't have to be awake for me. I I would just pray as I entered the door and say, God, you know how hard this is for me. Just help me to be the person you want me to be with my mom, except exactly how she is today. And And God made that possible. He helped me to do that. And it was after my mother died, the end of um, October 8th of 2011, that um, God gave me this inspiration. God showed me so, you know, that I realized that I learned a lesson from my mom, even in her dying. I mean, she gave me life, but even in her dying, you know what my mom taught me? She taught me how to love unconditionally. This woman who I felt had not ever loved me as a child, she was the one who taught me how to love unconditionally in the making of that amends. And, and I always felt... Um, that previously her her love had had strings attached, so you know what, so had mine. 
and taking the action required in step nine produced that transformation in that relationship. And not only in that relationship, but from that that time onward, as I make amends, I remember, I think of how that relationship changed um, whenever I'm, I'm looking to see uh, other people through God's eyes. And I just want to um, finish with one, you know, another example, and, and that is another revelation that I had. You know, I am so grateful to A Vision for You and all the recovered people who share, and, you know, I'm grateful that I can show up each morning. That's a blessing for me. And during this month that we have been, um, you know, studying Step 9 each morning, um, I've been given some clarity about something else that I that I had not really thought about, and that is the term living amends. I, I have thrown that term around left and right and didn't even know what it meant to me or, or what it meant um, according to the big book. And I had learned this definition in another 12-step program, um, the one where I felt comfortable just, you know, changing my behavior and my attitude, not really taking full responsibility and saying, you know, um, this behavior is inappropriate. I'm sorry for the harm I caused you. How can I, you know, what can I do to make this up to you? Um, and so I, I, one morning I heard it, you know, because I had used that term myself in a share of living amends, and I, I heard a recovered person respond about it, and a light bulb went off. And, you know, so I started researching, well, what is the definition? And then I talked to my sponsor, who's been a student of the big book since 1986, and I said, you know, um, living amends, that word is not in the big book. She goes, yes, I know, Michelle. Um, and, you know, I, I told her, you know, what my revelation was. And together she helped me to see, you know, my definition of living amends was to change my behavior, and then it was up to the other person to figure out that I had made an amends. Now, that's my experience. That, that's what God wanted me to learn. And that's, you know, what I had done with my mom's relationship early on. And no wonder I did not get the same results as when I made the direct amends, admitting the harm that I had caused my mother. Um, so, you know, in talking with my sponsor, I learned that, you know, it's the direct amends that allows me to take full responsibility for my actions. You know, it's much more a humbling experience when I admit my part in causing the harm to my mom than when I just changed my behavior. I did, you know, but I didn't know what I didn't know. And so that's been such a revelation to me. But then, you know what, that caused me to pause and ask God, you know, have I neglected responsibility in any of the other amends that I've made? And in prayer and meditation, you know, God nudged me and said, you know, Michelle, you've made amends to your spouse since you've been recovered. But in my memory, I don't know that I took full responsibility for the harms that I caused in the past. So I called my sponsor about it and said, you know, um, this is what came to me in prayer and meditation, but I don't know if, if I'm on the right path with this or not. Do I need to make direct amends to my spouse for these past harms? And she told me, she goes, well, Michelle, you know, if God's directing you to do that, and this is through prayer and meditation, why don't you go ahead and, and um, make those direct amends and see if there's a change or transformation that occurs. So I prayed and I asked God for direction. And, you know, page 69 in the big book states, in meditation we ask God what we should do for each specific matter. And, you know, normally I just treat this like someone else has said. This is just like a checklist for Michelle, nine steps so Michelle can get recovered, so Michelle can feel better for herself. And God showed me that. So I stopped and prayed and, and tried to consider how my spouse might feel when I talked to him about past hurts and how it affected him. The guy's my director, and he was showing me, I believe, um, in prayer meditation, that I had not followed completely the directions for Step 9 according to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I intuitively knew that God wanted to transform my relationship with my spouse like God had done for me with my mother. 
And just recently I told my sponsor, I said, you know, I don't like the way when I was talking to you about my spouse, I don't like the, you know, I, I, you know, I don't like the way I was talking about him. She goes, yeah, Michelle, you know, I heard some anger there. So after prayer, I asked my spouse, can we please have some time together? He's always been so accommodating and loving. You know, by the grace of God, he's put up with so much for me and, 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 and why um, God has blessed me with such, you know, a man that is willing to just, you know, let water go over the bridge. So I sat down with him and I told him that I had never come to him to make, make amends for the wrongs that I had caused in our early years of marriage. This year we'll be married 39 years by the grace of God. I told him that I was, you know, I was wrong to argue with him to the point that he was exhausted just so that he would give in with me. At night I would turn the light on when he tried to go to bed, and I said, you know, we're not finished. We need to continue talking about this. Um, in other words, I was trying to, to bulldoze him and force my will. I said I was in, inappropriate and wanting to be right all the time. I told him I was wrong to be so inconsiderate when I did not want to attend his friend's 40th birthday party because I was feeling bad about being fat and having no clothes to wear. I was wrong to prevent him from seeing his friend because he wouldn't go without me, and then his friend died in a car accident a few months later. Due to my selfishness, he missed an opportunity to celebrate and have fun with his friend. I told him that I would be more considerate, loving, and caring of his needs from now on. And, you know, I looked him in the eye, and the same thing happened to me in that, in that moment when I looked into his eyes because I, I could see the hurt and I could see his soul and that he was really allowing me this time to, to make amends to him. And so, yes, I now know a new freedom and a new happiness. I did experience a difference with a face-to-face amends, admitting my wrongs. And I see that for me that my definition of living amends is not what it is in the big book. My sponsor told me, she said, Michelle, what the living amends means in the big book is once you make that direct amends, then you're going to live that amends out to that person the rest of your life, to the best of your ability. That's what a living amends is. And, you know, on page 77, just to end and sum up, at, at the moment, we are trying to put our lives in order. And I put, at the moment, in parentheses, that we are making our amends. We are trying to put our lives in order. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be a maximum service to God and the, and the people about us. You know, I started making my amends because this is the next step in order to clear away the wreckage of my past. This is the step that was promised to me that I would have the obsession of my mind to, you know, go back to the food removed. Um, But something happened to me in the process. Something happened to me on the way, and I'm becoming more considerate, more compassionate. These are the characteristics of a person who can be of service to God and others. And God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. I couldn't wish away those character defects. I, I couldn't. There's no way I don't have that power. I found that this transformation occurred in me after making my amends. You know, it's hard to believe that I've changed from always thinking about myself now to where I can start thinking about others. I know that God has made this trans, you know, this, transit, this transformation, this psychic change possible through the working of the 12 steps. You know, and I hear this question asked all the time on A Vision for You, how free do you want to be? How free do I want to be? Step nine has been the step which has brought me this freedom. You know, step nine frees me from the guilt and shame, which I covered with my anger and resentment, and that blocked me from God. And eventually I would go back to food. But another kind of freedom is what I ask God for in that third step prayer, relief or freedom from the bondage of self. And on page 552 in the big book, I came across this little quote um, that I hold on to. It's become so dear for, to me. The only real freedom a human being can ever know is doing what you ought to do because you want to do it. Today I am free from the obsessive thinking of what's in, in it for me. You know, what can I get out of this? 
I am free to act and do the next right thing because I want to serve God and I want to I want to serve God. I want to serve my fellows. That's not me. You know, for someone like me who has the mind of a real compulsive overeater, this is the real miracle of the program. The feeling of uselessness and self-pity are disappearing. I am losing interest in selfish things and gaining interest in my fellows. I am getting to know a new freedom, a new happiness, and I am free to do the will of God for another day. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you to all three panelists this morning, Sharon, Katie, and Michelle, for your insights and revealing your personal experiences with Step 9. We really appreciate it here on A Vision for You. We now open the floor for any questions related to Step 9. You can direct your question to any of our panelists this morning. Star 1 to unmute if you have a question. Rose. Go ahead, Rose, with a question, please. Thank you. Um, I hope I can talk. Um, I found this meeting so... um, moving that um i feel so humbled by everybody who spoke and and i thank you all sharon and um katie and michelle so but i do have a question so i ask god to help me get it out um let's see i'm in step nine myself and i have made face-to-face amends and graveside amends, but um, actually Michelle really answered this question very much when she said about page 77 in the big book tells how to go to the person we still hate. Um, And I read it over and the the directions are there. And that's exactly where I am with quite a few amends, face-to-face amends that need to be made, but my sponsor has been well aware that I'm not ready to do them, and I know it's a, um, forgive me here, it's a real sticking point for me, and my recovery this past year has been phenomenal, and again, I add that Vision for You has been a huge backbone to um, my, my meetings and my connection with recovered people. Um, so I'm asking any of anybody, any and all from the three beautiful women that spoke today, if they had particular experiences, like I said, Michelle did point out page 77, which I'm really grateful for and will work with, but I can tell that these amends, um, I can't afford to wait. Um, I mean, it's God's timing, but I feel like I have not maybe been doing the work I need to do to look at my side of the street with these um, the, the the situation. So the question is, if you have particular experiences with having to have gone to people who you really hated, and God forgive me, that's what's going on with me. Um, you know, was there any particular thing that helped you finally face up and make those amends? So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. This is Katie. Um, 
Thanks for sharing, Rose. I think the thing that I want to stress the most is for me that amends have just been a process. It's been a process of ongoing sharing and, to be honest, ongoing turnaround. Um, one particular instance I can think of is um, my stepbrother, who I know I've shared about before, but I had a lot of anger against him because of my misunderstanding of the disease and he is an active alcoholic who lives at home with my two retired parents um, and I have been furious at him for years and um, what I have noticed over time I have not made a direct amend to him because it has not been appropriate but in speaking with my father um, I've been given the opportunity over time. Um, I, my my heart has softened. And I guess I just feel like a lot of times with these amends, it's about just letting time heal. And um, I have made David an active part of my prayer. And now I truly fundamentally believe I don't know what's right for him. And I didn't for a very long time. And I was very self-righteous. And although I made amends to my, my stepmother, his, his mother, and my father, I couldn't speak about him in a kind and loving manner. And now God has entered into my heart. And I can feel that pain. And I have that desire too, Rose, to like get everything done and to have that spiritual awakening. But I don't know. God's not that. God does things in his time you know and so um and when i did approach people directly whom i really struggled with it was when i had after i had had that like softening of my heart and when the resentment come came back i do the turnaround and ask god to help me breathe live in the truth and i do that today i mean my supervisor at work i am praying for him all the time that he get all the gifts in his life that i want in my own and I list them out because I need to have a softening of my heart. So I don't know. I, I think that God recognizes our desires, Rose, and I think you're, you know, on the path, and it will happen for you in, in his time. And it doesn't mean that you're not completing your amends. I had to really let go of that with my mom because yeah. I really wanted to make amends to her. So in the way I wanted to. So yeah. that's what I have to share. Thank you. Thank you, Rose, for the question. Anyone else this morning with a question related to Step 9? This is Susan. Susan, go ahead. Thank you so much. Good morning, Leah and everyone. Um, thanks for your beautiful shares. Although I'm going to reference something Michelle said that I have a question on, I invite anyone to respond to it, uh, including Michelle. Um, so, Michelle, you described a beautiful amends to your husband, and one piece of it confused me that you denied him the ability, the chance, perhaps, I don't remember the exact language, to see his friend. And prior to that, you said that he, he wouldn't go without you. And I get that you deemed that your motives for not going were selfish, etc. I get that. But what confuses me is if he made the choice not to go without you, how does that become your responsibility? And I ask this question because I think it's bigger than this issue. I think this, this way of thinking of mine, which, with, which others might share, might be tripping me up and taking full ownership for my part. 
uh, because I, uh, I recognize I'm looking at the other one's part, but aren't we each responsible? Like if I choose not to do something unless you do it with me, isn't that my responsibility? How does that become your responsibility? Thanks so much. Hi, this is Michelle. <clears throat> Hi, Susan. Um, yeah, in, in another program that I'm in, they would they would say the same thing that I'm not responsible for another person's actions, and and I'm not. But he had asked me to go with him, and um, you know the friends are actually my friends, mutual, and it was a couple's thing, and um, he could have gone by himself. He certainly could have. Um, but I, the reason I didn't go was because I was in my disease and I was feeling, you know, low self-esteem and I was being selfish. Um, I, when we go to things, we go, like, a lot of times as a couple, although we do things separately, and so many times he had gone and done things with me that he didn't particularly want to do. And, you know, in a relationship, it's, you know, it's not 50-50. Sometimes it's 100% or 100% you know, percent by one partner and then 100% of the other partner. So it's just looking at my relationship and what I want it to be with my spouse. Um, but certainly I am not responsible for the fact that he chose not to go. I'm just looking at um, what our relationship is and um, how I can improve in that relationship. And so many times he had done things that he didn't want to do, and that's the way life is. Sometimes you just do things that you don't want to do. And had I not been in my disease, I don't know if my response would have been differently. I'd like to think it would have been. But I agree that I am not responsible for my spouse's um, choice not to go. I'm only responsible for my behaviors and my actions. So... Um, Maybe I got a little skewed in my sharing there, but um, as a couple and doing things together, if this was a couple's event, but he could have gone by himself. I'm not responsible for his choice, just mine. Thanks. Thank you. I mean, just to be clear, I was in no way suggesting that the sharing was skewed. I was. Tr I have a lot of respect for your recovery, and I wanted to hear if there was a different perspective from the way that I'm seeing it, that I'm kind of missing the boat on something, and it helps that you just refocused it on, you know, your behavior. So I hear it. Thank you. Sure. May I just add something really quick? I um, Two things that I that helped me with that is um, in Bill's story, he talks about being naturally unmindful of the welfare of others, right? So like his friend comes to tell him he's gotten sober. Right? And he's naturally unmindful of his friend's welfare. He's more concerned about drinking. And um, there's another part in the book that talks about when my rights move in, I'm in big trouble. So I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think for me what I've really learned to focus on is, you know, how, like what kind, this, in, in, who cares what the other person's behavior is? Let's pretend, let's just act like everybody else is perfect. Because that's how God wants me to be. God doesn't want me around taking everybody's temperature and finding out how they're behaving. At least that's my God. That's my truth. Um, he wants me to treat other people, you know, as if everybody, you know, was was behaving perfectly. Like what, what kind of wife, what kind of mother, what kind of student, what kind of girlfriend am I being today? And to focus on that. And that's 
not natural for me, but it's where I try and be. Thanks. Thank you, Susan, for the question. Anyone else this morning? Questions related to step nine? Going once. Hello? Yes, go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. <clears throat> um, my name is Alita, calling from Minnesota, and I'm very, very grateful for the share today and um very helpful to me. I'm on step nine also. Um I was really I'm the reason I'm so grateful is I was this morning really aware that I've been um just sitting on step nine. Um my sponsor and I went over the amends that I have to make about a week or a little over a week ago. And um, I've been just sitting here because I feel that I I don't know what to do. Um, and I can explain my partner. We have some financial debt, and my partner is unwilling to make to recoup these debts at this time. And... Um, So that and so and he also has some um, dental work that needs to be done. So we're trying to put money toward that, but it seems like I'm trying to control the situation because I'm trying to do the sewing project to help with the dental, so we can get past the dental, so we can pay these bills. And I don't feel that I'm allowing God, and I I'm just kind of confused on how to move forward with step nine. And and I was just realizing that this morning I will be talking to my sponsor about this. But um, I just um, I'm I'm sitting in guilt and anxiety and over it and everything and so I'm just wondering if anybody has any suggestions on that. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Alita. Any panelists with a response? This is Sharon. Sharon, go ahead. Uh, hi, Alita. I. I appreciate what you're saying. And the thing about step nine is sometimes it can get um, overwhelming and a lot of things start, we start trying to do a lot of things. Uh, We're wanting to, we're cleaning up our past in step nine so that we can then go forward. So we want to be careful not to try to solve our whole life problems at once. Step nine is about clearing away the wreckage of the past. It's about cleaning up. And so I would encourage you not to try to do everything, not to try to solve future potential problems, but to just focus on the work of of step nine to breathe, take it easy, and trust the process. This is a spiritual program. We accept a spiritual solution. And our life going forward will be a life 
that is on a spiritual plane versus on the the natural plane. I say that because as you go forward, you're still you're not you're not going to be doing step nine alone, and you're not going to be doing your life alone. So the first thing is you separate out your future from your past, and you don't try to solve your future problems. So that's one thing. Number two is that when you do start working on on the problems, your money, and, and how to go forward, you're not going to be doing that alone. You're, you have your higher power. You have your program. Like you said, you can talk to your sponsor. So relax. Take it easy. This is a process. It will carry you through. You will get through this process one day at a time, one step at a time. But it's important not to try to lump everything together. What we do is we take it one step at a time, one thing at a time. When you're working on step nine, you work on step nine. When you work on your your life problems, your life issues that are that are going forward, you work on that. So I would encourage you to just to not lump this all together and try to work on the future problems and past problems, but just take step nine, work on step nine, get out of that, and then work on your life. And And it may be in the same day. You may work on step nine in the morning, take a breath, live your life, do the things that you need to do. And then you may say, okay, let me, I have this, these issues that, and then work on those and, 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 you know, talk to your sponsor, talk to your, your network of supporters and get the help that you need to work on that problem. And that I pass. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alita. Thanks, Sharon. I think I, May I just add something really quick with regard to financials? I um, I was I just been fired from my job. In case you haven't heard that a lot, a lot for me, and um, I was living on unemployment, and um, so money was really scary for me. And um, I was able to make a lot of financial amends with God's time and with His grace. You know, I put them on my list, um, and I didn't rush it, and I prayed for clarity. And you know, in some instances, like I never gave my brother and sister-in-law a wedding gift. I went and made a donation in their name. I didn't tell them how much the donation was for. My sponsor and I came up with a number that was pretty uncomfortable for me, but comfortable enough that I could still pay my bills. So I was actually making an amend, but I was, um, you know, still had a roof over my head, right? Because I can't, I can't put the cart before the horse. Um, so God will, God will guide you. Just stay in prayer. Like this is a process, and I don't know. My experience was that, like. It, it evolved over time um, and give yourself that time and your honesty and willingness around taking action is great, but don't forget God. And that's it. Thank you, Katie. Thank you. Thanks, Alita, for the question. Anyone else before we bid farewell this morning? Can I have the numbers of the three speakers? Sure. Let's do that. Uh, panelists, are you available to offer your phone numbers at this time? 
this is Katie G from Boston, and you can call anytime. Just leave me a message if I'm not there. And my number is Eastern Standard Time, and it is 413-237-5758. That's 413-237-5758. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. Thank you. This is Sharon. I'm in Go ahead, Central Sharon. Time. My time, the best times to contact me are between 8 a.m. and 9.30 p.m. Central Time. My phone number is 612-518-7578. Thank you. This is Michelle, and um, I'm in Central Standard Time. I'm going to be heading off to work here shortly, but I'll be home this evening. I'd love to hear from you, too. My cell phone number is 314-605-8662, Central Standard Time. Thank you. Thanks. And thank you again to our panelists this morning, Sharon R.S., Katie G., and Michelle H. Thank you for your time and your Revealing personal experiences uh, on the line this morning have been so helpful. We thank you very much. I'm going to close the meeting this morning with the way a vision for you always closes its meetings, and that's from the reading on page 164, A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.